Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we have a Tom Wynn, professional walleye tournament angler, back on the show. If you follow along any uh, in the Midwest to, to any of the professional walleye tournament uh, scene whatsoever, you're probably very familiar, at least in the last couple of years, with Tom Wynn. Tom is, is blowing up with some really, really cool successes that he's had, and it's really fun to get a chance to talk to Tom and figure out what makes him tick, because he's definitely got something going on, and it's really, really cool. And in this episode, we probably talk about one of the things that Tom has the least amount of experience with, or the least uh, uh, you know, uh, confidence in. Uh, and that is the, the river walleye fishing, very popular topic this time of year. A lot of our shows are going to be river walleye oriented here, uh, at least for this stretch of time. And, you know, get a couple weeks back getting a chance to do this interview with Tom, you know, with his his track record and the success that he's had in walleye tournaments on river systems. I would have never thought, uh, you know, going into it. You know, that Tom was going to say everything that he did. And it's so fun in this interview to listen to Tom talk about how he's in the process of building confidence on rivers. And he doesn't have a lot of experience on rivers. And I think that that makes him very relatable. A lot of us, even if we have experience, we're probably not looking or thinking of everything that we could be. And to listen to somebody like Tom, who has a ton of great experience, fishes at a very high level, and to listen to him where he's at right now in his journey to to building his um, you know resume so to speak on on you know river fishing it's just really great and some of these stories are just phenomenal very nuanced so you know it's very entertaining to listen to Tom tell stories in this interview but also if you're listening closely there's a lot of technical information that we could all take away from this so yeah very very fun interview with Tom Wynn we're talking river walleyes Let's get into it. You know, say last year, the year before, when you were getting into tournament angling where rivers were just something that just wasn't, didn't necessarily play into your strengths right away versus where you're at now where you're building a little confidence. Tell me that story a little bit, and then we'll, we'll try to get a little bit more specific after that. But But tell me that story a little bit for you. Yeah, so, you know, Basically, that my first my first year of fishing for walleye tournaments. You remember, like I told you before, like the the first tournaments I got into was just for something to do. And then when I found out, okay, these, you know, I, I you know, this is isn't just a fluke that uh, we're doing good on lakes. But then, you know, when when I had to fish that first river event, I I was excited because it was something different. But once I got out there, I'm like, wait a minute, this is completely different it was like you know it was very very frustrating i just couldn't uh what i would typically look for in a lake didn't exist in a river and um the way you use electronics are different than from a lake to river and so for example like on a on a lake you can go out there and i i love looking for structure and pulling fish that you can't see even with forward facing sonar off of structure but you i the first thing i do is look for actual fish so when if i can see some fish or like a um school of fish that gets me started but i know that those schools of fish are normally they're they're not your biggest fish in in the lake the the giants roam alone or in pairs but that's my belief anyway but so in the river i just couldn't see the fish like i 
you know, they just weren't there. But then it made sense to me. Okay, there's current moving swiftly through here. They're belly to the bottom. They're keeping out of that fast moving current as much as possible, letting bait get washed by them, swim by them, and that's when they come out and get them. So if you were able to see, if I was able to see a walleye come up, it was when they were darting up at a bait or a school, yeah, school of bait. So that's what, you know, my first river tournament um, last year was a disaster just because that was me cutting my teeth, just like learning that kind of behavior, that kind of fish behavior. And so each day was a struggle. Like I was very um, frustrated with each, each one of those days just because I couldn't get them to bite the way I wanted to. But as you know, once that tournament ended, went home, tail between my legs, my next tournament was on the king of all rivers, Mississippi River. I was like, great. <laughs> like, oh, here we go again. But utilizing what I learned in Detroit, going to the Mississippi, you got the current flow was relatively the same, I think. Um, different water clarity, of course. The Detroit River can get very, very clean, whereas the Mississippi is always a little bit stained. From what I've seen, it was very limited, again, my experience on it. But um, I was able to utilize what I learned by just immediately going and looking for structure in current breaks. So, you know, as we were researching rivers, we always don't look at current breaks, eddies, things like that. So in river fishing eddies are just like very small current breaks. Normally that's what people refer them to. So that it's like just swirling water. So the, so if your boat's in it, for example, your boat's not moving, even though the current, could be a foot away from your boat. It's like ripping past you. Your boat's not moving because you're in like that little current, like like a whirlpool type thing there. And those a lot of times that's where those fish are sitting. And so I, on the Mississippi River, I'm just going along looking for structure in that sort of thing. And in between two current breaks is when I got up on this big line of super aggressive riprap, like. It was crazy, and I I uh, was fishing along that just because I'm like, there has to be something here. There, the, the, This rap, these rocks were so big, like some of them were like two foot across. So I'm thinking, okay, if I can get my bait down current of one of these, there's a little current break behind that rock. So maybe there's something sitting there. But I did more breaking off than anything. I didn't catch a single fish. Then I get a you know, phone call from one of my salons at home. And I back off into the river, and um, so I wasn't so close to the rocks. I spot lock and sit down and talk to my manager that was on the phone. And as I'm sitting there, I look up where my boat just was, pretty close, and I see a shad bust up there. And this is how, you know, um, like naive I am to uh, walleye fishing still. I, I didn't know the shad existed in Minnesota because – bass fishing throughout the south and stuff like that yes we follow the shad and um i and i've never seen a shad in in a lake up here in minnesota so i'm like was that a shad you know i was like uh, just i had to have been it looked just like one like flopping flickering out of the water so after i got off that phone call i went up there and to where that was and 
again, like I, I was on my trolling motor at that point, and my trolling motor is like fighting that current in, on a 10 speed. Um, and I get to where that shad busted and my boat just literally stops moving. Like it, there, there was an eddy there, just the size of my boat. And it was my boat. I could let off the trolling motor and it just sat there and I'm like, all right. So there was a reason there was a shad there. Yeah. (laughs) So I backed off of it then, um, tied on a, a mega bass jerk bait. And that's one of my go-to for smallmouth mega bass. You know, they're, they're just very good. They have the perfect, you know, um, suspension action underneath the water. So I did that and I actually caught a small smallie and, uh, which I laughed about because I'm like, you know, (laughs) of course I tie on a bass bait and I'm going to catch a smallmouth. But so I, I caught that and then I ended up snagging one of those big, Chad, it was like the size of my hand. Ah, like, so you had verification like, oh. then. Yep. Then I then I knew it. I'm like, holy crap, there's Chad in Minnesota. And so now, yes, I've heard everybody's like, well, duh, there's Chad in the river. I'm like, okay, <laughs> now I know. So then I was trying to. So I I was in the current, trolling motor spot lock, like working hard. Um, and I'm casting to this spot though. And the jerkbait, I ended up catching a sauger, a small sauger. And I'm like, all right, we're getting there. And I made probably 40, 50 casts. Just caught those, you know, a few different things there. And then I see another shad pop and another one, like, they just went crazy for a second. And I'm like, okay, the water temp's still too cold for, like, a shad spawn to go on. So I'm like, that's not what's happening here. Something else is going on. So I went i tied on a uh swim bait a white colored swim bait and um uh, a kitek and i threw it up there on onto the rocks let it roll back and then as soon as it hit that current it just you know the current would just take it real quick nothing it wasn't getting bit and then but then you know i start i'm really big into like trying to figure out what looks like what the fish are currently eating so those shad are flat bodied and um, those shad have very, shad have very flat bodies. So then I was like, okay, the swim bait is more cylindrical. That's not working. The fluke I threw wasn't working. So then I dug around and I'm like, I have some craw, craw baits in here for bed fishing for large, large mouth. I had one pack and they were white and, um, so I'm like, all right, that's the closest color that I have to match a shad, like being washed away in the river. So I Texas rigged it um, because of the aggressive riprap. So I Texas rigged a craw on a bullet weight and I would cast it up to the rocks. It would just sit right there and I bring it back. It was only like four to six feet from the bank that I'd bring it back. And then that's when the current would catch it and it would just start going. And I, so I would let the, I was with my bait caster as well. So I would let, as the current would get it, I would start letting line out with my hand from the reel, letting it go. And I could just feel the weight hitting the rocks, like thump, 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 all the way down. And then, um, I get the, I would get the classic. It would just stop but it wouldn't just stop. I'd feel the thump. And that's when I would uh, set the hook and it was a smaller walleye, but I knew obviously it was the right, the right kind. And I got it to the side of the boat 
but it came off before I could get it in the boat. So um, that happened twice where I got to the side of the boat and it got off. And so I was thinking, okay, that offset shank, I was using an offset shank hook and I was rigging, like I said, rigging at Texas rig. And that is where you uh, bury the point of the hook back in the plastic so that you're, you're not getting snags. And typically you're doing that for bass so that you're not getting snagged in all the weeds, but, there's no weed to it, just rock. So I um, just started thinking, okay, the bat, bass's mouths are shaped different than walleye, so, but I have nothing else in here that I can use to keep myself from snagging on every single cast. So I broke two rods that oh. trip because I, so that, because then after that, I started setting the hook like hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, you know, and I'm really strong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm strong enough. <laughs> no, no. But no, I I set the hook really hard because I'm like, okay, I have to get that hook buried. So I would actually take the that offset shank and those offset shank hooks, the, the point of the hook actually points straight up to the eye of the hook where you tie it on. So I actually took some pliers and bent that out a little bit. I took the point and bent it out a little bit, still made it where it wasn't so bent out that I would have the hook sticking out of the plastic, but that made the difference. So then when that craw and I left the pinters of the craw intact. So when you, a lot of companies, when you get your craws, the pinchers are attached. Yeah. And you tear them apart, separate them if you want. So I left them together. Ah. And to me that, resembled more of a shad than our shad imitating bait because it was a flat body. Um, once it hit that current, it just kind of like would be tossed instead of just like, if that makes sense, it would have been flipping and flopping instead of like just, uh, just one smooth motion down. So I, uh, so I started doing that and then I caught one that was, um, probably 17, 18 inches. And I'm like, all right, so this is what we have to do. But these conditions then have to be perfect. And so that day it was sunny. It was the only sunny day of practice. The water temp had almost hit 40 degrees. And I'm thinking, okay, these, with that sun coming out, the rocks get warm there. And not only is there a current break there, but that water's a little warmer. So, um, the rest of the days of practice were snowy, rainy, as you you guys can see on my Facebook account with me and Nate out there. It was raining, snowing, windy. But tournament day, it was a one-day tournament, and it was predicted in the morning to be calm, and in the morning we're going to have sun. So I told Nate, because we weren't on anything in practice. Like, the most I caught in practice was, like, three legal size fish. And... Um, the most we caught together in a day of the few days we were there was four, four or five fish that, uh, of walleyes a day, but a couple of days we didn't catch a single thing. Um, so I told Nate, I'm like, when, when we get up and get to tournament launch, if the water temps 39, 38 to 40 degrees, it's still clear. We have to hit that little spot. And otherwise we had one other spot, one spot where he caught one fish in the tournament. And we're like, 
<laughs> we just told each other like there has to be a reason that fish was there so we have nothing else we just need to yeah. go there so that morning that's the first place we went to the riprap and i get to the spot and i and my boat just like i'm on 10 creeping up to the spot and um it hits that little area and my boat just like surges forward and nate was like holy crap <laughs> right. yeah it was like that eddie was right there again and so we're right there fishing and um we we catch i don't know i think we had our limit almost had our limit within the first 20 30 minutes it was like just perfect i was like laughing like we were just giggling because it was like the the exact thing we were envisioning, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like what you hope for, right? It's like when you're pre-fishing and that never happens. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so, you know, continuing on with that story, but I kind of want to like look back on everything you've said so far, like mm-hmm. talk about how you were building confidence in that spot. You know, you were cycling through some tackle, you cycled through a couple of rods, like, you know, for yeah, you and your yeah. experience. I mean, talk a little bit about that, the emotions that were going on in the boat and what your thoughts were on what you had done up until then. Yeah. I mean, I just really couldn't, honestly, I, I just couldn't believe it was coming together because, you know, it, a lot of times we have an idea, like we, we go to a body of water and we have an idea going into it and we're super excited on that first day, but it just never works the way you think it's going to happen. And so, and then also from, researching some of these top pros that I compete against now, which I still can't believe, you know, like Gary and Chase Parsons, um, uh, Sprangle, Chemos, all those guys. It's like, I, you know, it's just weird to be putting that, but then to see how they in the past tournaments are able to catch walleyes off of riprap, how they're able to catch walleyes super shallow, tossing baits at them. It's been going on for years. So, to me, even going into the Mississippi River, I was like, it was still hard for me to comprehend being able to do that on a river and catching walleye. So, but once I started putting it together and seeing that shad flip and then just remembering, just put it in my brain. Okay, you're watching some of these biggest names in the industry catch them this shallow before. Why won't they be there now? Like it's that, you know, sometimes I have to get out of my own comfort zones and just tell myself, you are not going fishing with this bait because you know it's going to catch a fish. You have to use this. You have to make this work. That's where I'm super stubborn. Like I can't, I, if I know that somebody can make a certain bait or water depth or tactic work, I know I can do it. I just need to figure it out and without being taught. So that's where, but then also that's where I think my little subtleties come into play because I'm teaching myself with strategies and techniques that have been done before, but nobody's there to teach me how to do it. And so that's where the confidence comes because once I, my confidence is at all time lows in some of those instances when I'm not catching them. But then when I get that first bite, when I get that first bite from the right kind of species of fish it's like, all right. So then it does work. So now now what? Like I, I, so then I just cycle through baits. I, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of guys will see me in the, on tournaments, and they're like they see me on one spot for so long, but that's why I, I know there's a fish there. I know there's many fish there. It doesn't have to be a giant at that point. I just want to catch the right species, and then from there go look for 
big fish, but that confidence level, it get, it goes nuts, especially on tournament morning when you're expecting to throw that tournament out. So in that series, I was fishing the aim circuit and in that circuit, we were able to throw out one tournament of the year. That's our lowest, um, which I don't know if I like or not. I, I think we should keep every single tournament really, because that just showcases the angler and the yeah, team who's really and, got it. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so me and Nate were thinking like, okay, <laughs> like we have recordings of us like talking about it. Like oh, we're just hoping to come in the top half, you know? And so, but the confidence level soars and that just helps tremendously because you're fishing relaxed and you're fishing like, yeah, you're just fishing relaxed. You're fishing slow. Like even though you might be fishing a fast moving river, faster presentation, you're fishing slow. If that makes sense. A lot of us get, too much of in a hurry. Like if we're having a bad day or see the guy across the lake or across the river, catching a fish, it gets to us. And then we start fishing too fast just because we're, we're you're emotional. Anxious. Yeah. yeah. You're anxious yeah. and you, you yep. lose, lose your confidence in yourself a little bit. I mean, yep. and you know, one other thing that I want to point out because for myself and just for so many of the consumers of this industry, it's like, you know, we think about Tom Wynn and, and a lot of forward sonar, and, and you're talking about building confidence in a bite. You haven't mentioned forward sonar particularly yet, right? I mean, so this is, Mm-mm. you know, this is, you know, probably, you know, for some people, we just got to realize, like, you're not you're not one-dimensional in that way. Like, this is, this is a fantastic, uh, you know, reading water, being super aware of your surroundings. Like, all this stuff, all this stuff really factors in. But now... You know, um, I'll finish up on that story, anything you want to, but I mean, to now, it really kind of set yourself now going into this particular season. What do you, what's kind of your, what's kind of your bread and butter now for rivers? Like what's your confidence level on rivers as far as yourself? Yeah. So I, going into this year, I have a little bit more confidence than I did last year, um, just for the fact what I learned, um, on that Mississippi river event that we just talked about. So what I took from that event and then to the next event on the NWT last year on the Mississippi river as well, different pool, but we fished Prairie du Chien and it was in the summer. And so I was effectively able to incorporate what I learned on the Mississippi river pool for in pre-spawn, I was actually able to duplicate it on Prairie du Chien. Now, here's the problem. Prairie du Chien, the, the slot limit there is between 20 and 27 inches. You can't keep. So, Sean Grams, he, he fished the NWT last year, a uh, good buddy of mine. And so, he's a troller. And that's traditionally, a lot of, a lot of guys troll on rivers. You know, you got your crankbait near the bottom there. You can't, and, and again, speaking about forward-facing sonar, it it's very limited um, on river conditions uh, for what you, how you can see them or anything like that. So that doesn't really come into play much, but last year it was just a, Sean was having a, he was catching more fish than me in practice right away because he was trolling, covering more water and stuff like that. And he's really good with the side scan and stuff. So he was, he was just doing his thing and he was catching some fish here and there, just, you know, keepers, some unders, but um, what, you know, I was doing was totally different. I'm like, look, 
Sean, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to show you something, and I want you to um, take it out there and utilize it. Here's how I want you to use it. You go find your fish the way you fish, but don't troll over them. Try this. And let me tell you, like, <laughs> I was so excited for him to come back uh, on tournament days each day because I was just, like, thinking he's going to get them. He's going to get them. And if that slot limit wasn't in place, he probably would have won the tournament. He had, like, multiple 24s, 25s, 26s. It was insane. And utilizing – now, in the tournament, too, I was utilizing this – same technique i was fishing the way backwaters though because at the time i didn't know how to find these fish in the main channel i was fishing backwater walleyes which you know if i would you know obviously could get the right ones i would uh it would have been a good tournament for me too so I, we me and my co-anglers did catch some in that slot limit there that we couldn't keep but there is I'm excited because after that tournament and actually during the tournament day, I learned how to scan the river with side scan. And I know what I'm looking for now. Like I know exactly what I'm looking for. I just learned it a little bit too late for that event. And, um, and that, you know, that while I like hard bottom and I know what I'm looking for with my electronics now to find that particular style, hard bottom, and the technique I'll be using this year is going to potentially eliminate trolling for <laughs> walleyes in the river. And I'm excited. Like I, I just hope that uh, it works out as well as I think it is. And from what Sean and I learned last year, I think, I don't know why it wouldn't. You know, you you just you have that confidence, man. You know that uh, <laughs> that you're gonna put that into action, and that works for you. And that's what I that's what I like. I mean, you know, for so many of us, it's like our confidence is just so thin. You know, that's just me being honest about myself, and I think people can relate. It's like, you know, I can give myself, you know, a certain amount of false confidence. You know, until maybe eleven o'clock, and I haven't had a bite, and that's just on an average day of going fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, with mm-hmm. my recreationally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then you're just spinning out. And I'll put a little competition, a little bit of a you know a boost oh, yeah, on that. <laughs> then then your anxiety is just through the roof. And so, you know, sometimes it, that's really the deciding factor. Is you know you're right. If you can find some fish, and there's probably a variety of spots or patterns that can be identified. Right? It's it's not mm-hmm. that you that there's only one to identify all the time. Rivers can be diverse. That's everywhere, you know, it's like, you know, so you can, f- finding some fish can happen, but just, you know, staying on that grind and, and, uh, you know, putting those little wrinkles in it. Now, getting back to that, that first Mississippi trip, you know, that story you're telling us, for you, looking back on that, like, what were some of the, what were some of the, the things, the little details um, that you can tell us that you went through? Was, was line selection a thing? Uh, was, yeah. you know, you know, talking about, you know, Texas rigging, the bullet way, you talked about the hook, which was a huge deciding factor in getting an actual hook set into the mouth mm-hmm. of a walleye. But, you know, finding the right weight size, like, like how much stuff and tackle did, did you go through to really kind of dial that in? Well, it was a lot. Like I, I went, I broke off 
probably 40, 50 times, which is the most annoying thing in the world because you got to retie everything. And, and so, and, and I'm really big into using tungsten weights and stuff. They're just smaller, but then after like 15 or 20 of them, I'm like, I got to switch to lead because it's getting too expensive. Yeah. And so, and at that point, it didn't, it, 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 I shouldn't have even used my tungsten, I guess, because the, um, at that point, you know, I just, the, the river conditions, they weren't, they, it's not super clean anyway. You don't need to downsize anything there. Um, and line selection, I had to, I'm typically, you know, walleye fishing, I'm using between six and 10 pound test, uh, depending on the situation. But in this condition, I was using uh, 30 pound braid and i had i ended up i think going with a 17 or 20 pound uh fluorocarbon leader which i've never used for walleye fishing in my life but i knew that that i didn't have to be sneaky with that current moving so fast and the water color not being clear by any means i just needed to um have that flash of white go past the fish's face in a certain way but yeah, just having the patience, it's hard. It's hard for me. It's really, really hard to sit there and do, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. But I, it, things bug me. I'm like, there's a fish there. There's these fish are, you know, these shad are running from something. I caught a, a couple small ones here. Like, and then just knowing that was the time of year as well where – those fish start making their way to the dam. They get to the dam. They can't go any farther. So I turn around. So we were getting to that point from what everybody tells me. Again, that's the first time of me fishing those conditions. So just from hearing everybody talking, you know, doc talk and stuff, they're like, Oh, the fish are coming. The fish are coming. And so I was like, all right. So <laughs> I, you know, and I witnessed that also on that trip, like after so on that first morning we were there, we only got to fish that spot for an hour. Was it a little around an hour? Not even that long because uh, they opened the gate to the dam, and I no more than literally said to Nate, "I'm like, wow, this current's nice today." And he looks up to the towards the dam because you can see it from where we were, and nobody was fishing around us though. And we we looked up and there's like trees floating, a refrigerator floated by. We're like, oh boy. Yeah, like that refrigerator. I was like, being from Arkansas, <laughs> that's treasure, you know. <laughs> but, but uh, no, I. Uh, so that's where it got blown out. Like it got washed out. That current came up. It got super dirty. So much stuff floating in the water. We couldn't keep our lines clear. We're like this is stupid. So we, I fished it a little bit too long then because I fished it, you know. I think 45 minutes passed when I knew I should have quit and made myself move to the spot Nate found. And basically it was just a small current break and we went over there and again, practice was terrible. He caught one fish on that spot. We just wanted to go. We just went there because we're like, what's the use of running around when we don't know what we're doing anyway. So we went over there, tied on some different baits and um, mimicked, trolling without actually moving our boat long story short we jacked them there like it was like the the it was just unbelievable i i we we were we were catching walleyes or fat bellies they just we catch some 18s 20s and you know we found ourselves just catch catching some and like 
getting them. We didn't even measure them because we didn't need them for the card anymore. And at that first spot, I had already caught a 11 or 12 pounder. So we had that on the card along with four keepers and four quality keepers. So we're like, and our mindset at that point still was we have no chance. We're fishing against these locals. We're fishing against all the guys from Hager City and Red Wing and stuff that live there. And they fish this tournament only because they're good at the river. And we know there's giants in that river. And we're like, we still don't have a chance. And so we're, we um, go to the second spot with that giant in the bag and then the the four keepers. And we go over there and start fishing. And like I said, we were catching them pretty good. And we just couldn't believe like what we had learned like in that short time like holy crap this is working and then that's when forward facing sonar did come into play a little bit because i was able to like pan around and look and see okay so that's what that looks like down there so then so you know we were just talking about this like i said the cycle of fish this, there's a pod of females that come up and they hit the dam they can't go any farther so they kind of turn around they just make you know yep 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 generally speaking on rivers there's always something like that especially when you're talking spring they're just you know there's always some sort of a spawn run we're talking pre-spawn here but yeah yeah for sure so so that's where we witnessed that and uh, so with the forward facing you know in the rivers i've always been able to see like schools of carp or um gar or catfish or whatever you know but because i you know try to catch them with jig or whatever and i catch them in the mouth they'd be a big catfish or i'd snag a carp or something i'm like dang it what the heck so so we were sitting spot locked on this spot when we started fishing it um there was nothing on live scope and then a little bit later a big school of uh or just a big bunch of trash fish we call them um came in there and you know like from bass fishing and stuff i've or even walleye fishing i've heard people say that when those schools of those catfish carp and stuff move in it chases walleyes out but we just kept fishing and we fish and that we were catching those walleyes when those carp and stuff came in and now we were catching some catfish too and in in the midst of that were those walleyes and so that's where i learned that so then they disappear that off of uh live scope and then about an hour later they come back and then so that kind of like confirmed the fact that they go upstream and then once they can't go farther past that dam or lock or whatever, they turn right back around, they come back, they come back. Now, we had moved farther away from the dam on that second spot, but it was a small current break, um, a shell bottom, clam beds or whatever bottom, and just a small little area. And um, so we were fishing that, and then a boat moved in on us. Um, we thought it was a local boat, but... <laughs> It wasn't, and they, they was like, first I was like, oh, it's, it's a local guy, and they came zooming past, and then Nate was like, oh, they put on the brakes, and so they came over, and whatever, they spot locked behind us, but uh, didn't catch anything, so Nate and I were still catching some fish. Now, it wasn't like fast and furious bite, but we were catching fish, and we were throwing a lot of walleyes back without measuring them, um, and that boat proceeds to move in front of us, like literally in our casting 
Um, oh, yuck. Yeah, like, yeah, like right in the thing. And we were like, are you kidding me? Like, we could easily have cast it over their boat, like, without, with no problem. And so, you know, instead of saying anything, you know, I don't want to be that, you know, even though it was wrong, <laughs> but Definitely. I didn't want to say anything. So I, I let off my spot lock, let the current take me back, and um, sat where they were. And uh, we were using different baits, um, us and the other boat. And, you know, we caught a couple of small ones and they proceeded to sit there for about 45 minutes, an hour. They left, go back up there. Like we literally go back up there. Nate makes a cast and catches the biggest wall I have ever seen in my life with my own eyes. Like it was a giant, like he, he was reeling it up and we were just thinking, oh, catfish, carp or something yeah. like that. And he gets it to the side of the boat, and I'm holding the net, not, well, not with much, you know, confidence. And I'm holding, and I'm like, oh my god! And like, I almost forget to net it. Like I, and there's a lo- couple local boats there, and they're super respectful. The two local boats right by us, they were just having conversation with us. They went by us and stuff like that each time. And the one was a guide, and he's like, "Was that a walleye you just put in there?" And we're like, "You're like, we're like, yeah." And they're like, "You caught it on that." And we're like, yeah. <laughs> you talk about it being kind of smaller. It's not a big spot, so it might not be so obvious to find it on a map. Do you feel like a smaller spot is a big fish spot, or the smaller spot's just kind of nice because less people find them? The smaller spots are better. Not in a river, it's not so much maybe it's a big fish spot. I think it's a... Um, spot the smaller spots less people find them number one number two um the smaller the spot the when those big schools come over that small spot they're like packed into that small spot mm, they like, like they that. just like they just they don't have the, they're just sitting there and then so when a bait you don't so that way you know the school's not spread out so if you're casting at the you know you're you're you're, you're chances are way better of yeah. getting a an active fish when the, your spot is smaller. But in the river, that's when they get piled up on top of each other, not so much on the lake. But in a river, those small little eddies, those small little current breaks, that's when you're going to maximize your um, catch rate because, yeah, like literally that spot was probably mm, the size of two pickups. If you have any fishing memory that you would like to commemorate or have questions about commemorating a fishing memory with a replica made of any fish that has ever graced your net, get in touch with Rizavi Fish Replicas owned and operated by Jamie Rizavi over in uh, New Rockford, North Dakota at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can find them online at RizaviTaxidermyStudio.com or find them on Facebook at Rizavi Taxidermy Studio. You can see the pictures here at the JMO headquarters in Devil's Lake. We have some phenomenal replicas made by Jamie and his crew hanging on our walls, which we absolutely love. They look absolutely perfect, just like the fish that were reeled in that day. And every chance we get to go in and admire them and tell those stories and share those stories with each other, we absolutely do. Again, if you want, or if you have any questions about getting a fish replica made to commemorate any great trophy memory you have of fishing, Get in touch with Jamie Rizvi at Rizvi Fish Replicas. You won't be disappointed. So you're making the same cast over and over the whole time. 
Yeah, because same same exact cast because it was a small spot, but it was the same exact spot. And even though we weren't catching, we didn't catch a fish for an hour. Towards the end of that day, we we're like, oh, they'll be back because every time like he would set the hook on a fish, I would be like more alert because chances are I was going to catch one. Like so then, and then sure enough, when we do that, I'd pan around, and I could see those carp and catfish and stuff like that on my live scope i could never see the walleyes because they're belly to the bottom yeah but i could see those uh other fish i'm like yeah so or vice versa i'd be like oh here comes the um carp and stuff so like let's get ready and um sure enough it's almost like clockwork like there is that cycle in the rivers whether it's that time of year or in the summer it's just about go in the summertime they spread out more so it's about going and finding them with your side scan and then figuring out how to catch them without wasting your time trolling and now the techniques we were using is like i'm trying to figure out like how can i can mimic trolling without trolling like that's my mindset for this last year like how can i do it because when you're on a when you're fishing the spot of two pickup trucks, a lot of people will actually avoid that too, because yeah. because they're like even if they see fish there, because they're like, well, if I troll over that, I just troll over it for like twenty seconds, and then I have to pack my stuff back up, go back down or up or whatever, and troll back over it. And keep doing that. That's a lot. You're you're spending probably an hour of an eight hour day fishing. And when you're doing that, and for me, I'm spending seven hours and 45 minutes fishing um, where, you know, and so I'm, that's in my head. And last year, Nate and I, for example, on the AIM circuit or even on NWT, I tried really hard not to use the same bait or same tactic on back-to-back tournaments. I was always trying to find something different that would work so that as we keep, if I keep doing this tournament thing, I have a bigger arsenal. Like I don't, I'm new to this right now. So if I lose a tournament or if I come in last or whatever, you know, big deal. I'm new. As long as as you're learning, (laughs) as long as you're learning, that's the real takeaway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like Detroit, uh, Detroit river came in dead last turn around the very next tournament came in first. It's like, so, and you learned a ton. I'd learned a ton. And so it, but by being, having that stubbornness where, okay, I threw this crankbait, this tournament, the next tournament on a river, I'm not going to throw that crankbait. I know it works. I want to find something. I'll I'll use it in practice because I want to see that those fish will bite. Then after that, I'll throw the kitchen sink until I figure, see if they'll bite something else. Then if they don't, then yes, in the tournament. Okay. (laughs) go back to what to what works but then by doing that like if leech lake for example i know how to go out to leech lake and catch a limit in less than 30 minutes just a limit of walleyes so if i why do i want to go do that tomorrow what or the next day and the day after that so i will put something different on every single time i go out even in a tournament situation like we had a what I call a throwaway tournament last year toward the end of the AIM season where Nate and I were leading in team of the year points. And we're like, okay, this last tournament on Lake Vermilion, let's throw baits that we have never thrown 
in our lives for walleyes before in the tournament. Let's do it because if we suck, we can throw the tournament out. No big deal. We'll still be up there within the top five of team of the year going to the championship. So that's what we did. We came in second. So it's like, you know, but having the confidence to do that is not so much confidence. It's the stubbornness. It's I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it work. And if I don't, it's hero zero. So do you it's, feel like, you know, you're, you're, you're really working to be out, out, outside the box, outside the comfort zone. And that's what I love. I mean, that it inspires me to do it myself. And I'm always thinking about you when I am in the boat, just doing something a little bit different for, you know, whether it's using a bass technique for a walleye uh, intentionally or, or vice versa or whatever it is. I just, I love it. I'm super, I get super uh, inspired by that kind of conversation. But do you feel like, it's more presentation oriented when you're doing, you know, quote unquote, unrealistic things. Um, yeah. Or is it kind of, you know, spots too? Are you looking for different spots kind of outside the box? Are you looking for different patterns outside the box? Like, do you feel like it's more so a presentation thing for you that's outside the box? Uh, if you if you know the fish are there, then it's more a presentation. If, the fi- if you're not sure, like the fish you're looking on on electronics, for example, if they're walleyes or suckers or whatever, then it's a spot situation. You're like, okay, you start questioning yourself. But if you know, like, that school of fish is walleyes where they're, they're set up perfectly on side scan or you see them on down scan or you see them on live scope either way. Like on a river, like I said, live scope has its purposes, but you're not hunting fish, hunting individual fish for the most part. And, um, but it's so if you like when Sean and I were out there and we, he, he showed me how to find them on side scan and stuff like that. And so, we knew that if we made a bunch of trolling passes over them, we'd eventually be able to catch some fish out of that small school. I mean, it wasn't a giant school by any means, but there were walleyes there. And, but then it comes down to, okay, how can we be more efficient? How can we mimic what those crankbaits that are going by them um, on the bottom? How can we mimic that effectively? And, you know, let me just for an example, like, you got the vibration of a, a crankbait going, going through in the water and out of reaction, a fish grabs it. So in bass fishing, going back to bass fishing again, like uh, you have a very effective bass bait. Actually the elites right now are in Florida. They're there. A lot of people are using um, chatter baits. Okay. A chatter bait has a great vibration. And, but what's the problem with a chatterbait? A chatterbait doesn't have a rapid fall. So if you were to throw that chatterbait, for example, let's just say you're throwing it in the lake and it sinks to the bottom, you, you rip it up. It has a very slow fall. Okay. You, you throw it in current. You, you uh, spot lock and current on a river. You throw it out there. Let it hit sink to the bottom. Number one, by the time you get to the bottom, it's sinking so far. Even if you use a heavy chatterbait head, you can go to an ounce. And it was still, it's still sl- falling slower because of that blade. Now, that blade you're looking at is like, okay, that's the perfect vibration down there to mimic this. But then the question comes into my mind, 
how can I get that to pop? How can I get it to go down to the bottom fast? Because by the time I cast it out there and the current's coming towards me, like that bait's almost halfway back to me already before it hits the bottom initially. So I'm not covering hardly any water. So how can I get that out there down to the bottom quick? And then how can I modify that bait? So then it, whenever I rip it up, it just darts to the bottom. I don't care how it goes to the bottom. I mean, I do care. I want it to go down fast, but the action is when you're ripping it upwards, that vibration. So if I rip it up and then it's, it, it takes, it, it, I'm covering 12 feet of water before it hits the bottom again, that's no good to me. I want it to be able to hit the bottom within feet so I'm not missing any fish. So that's where my brain goes to how to get that chatterbait to work, popping it like basically like a jig and getting it to hop on the bottom instead of gliding downwards. And you can't use plastic on it either because the plastic is too buoyant. So there, you, I just have to, you know, figure out how to weight that chatterbait effectively and just to get it to pop down there. So that's just how my, that's just how my, like, I, I'm just trying to figure those things out because if I can, fi- you know, figure some of those things out, I'm going to be way more efficient than. Especially on out. those juicy, smaller spots. Yes. You know, building confidence in a smaller spot, it's going to be, it's less findable. Spend the time looking for those spots and then finding those wrinkles. Because I feel like, you know, when you're going through all that tackle and you're trying to figure out just exactly what is going to achieve the best bite in a certain situation, you're putting that pattern together kind of times 10, like to the average angler's mind. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing it times 10 and then you can take, you know, once you figure out, once you get a bait that's just being choked all the way to the back of their throat and you just have so much confidence that you're doing the right thing at the right time in the right place, you know, then you can take that sort of concept, whether it's that exact same thing, but you can just take that confidence into the next spot and then you're probably only a couple of details away from figuring mm-hmm. that spot out especially when it's not that far away you're fishing similar fish you know the same same river same fish kind of deal you just got to figure out what is going to achieve the same thing in that next spot and uh yep. i just yep. yeah i love that i mean we don't even have to you know you're just talking about intangible things there that matter so much we don't even have to get really specific on a bait in this conversation we don't get really specific on a setup in this conversation at all for me to take a ton away from how you're in the process of building confidence because, and I just love it and being outside the box, being willing to, um, you know, just make changes all the time. Even if you got that first bite, right. If you've been fishing for Mm -hmm. two days and you brought one to the boat and it got off and, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I would have probably been championing myself just for getting that bite. I could have taken Mm -hmm. that bite to the bank, but you're, you Mm -hmm. were just getting started at that point. And, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, the one bite could be luck sometimes, but then the second one, then you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you know, there there's something to it. But and and there's a lot of here in the past year or so, you know, you're we're reading about a lot of people catching walleyes different ways, which is awesome. And um, you know, I get a lot of questions on social media too, and people send me pictures of what they're thinking of and rigging and stuff like that. And you know, and I'm not opposed to giving away like baits and stuff. Oh, I am. I like, for example, like I, I'm not going to get into specifics on what 
I think is going to work extremely, extremely well going forward in these river type uh, tournaments because like what's made me a decent fisherman is me thinking on my own and, you know, like to just give it away and just make it easy <laughs> for everybody else. I'm giving away a lot of information. Like I, I don't mind that just to get people on the right track to start thinking like how to tweak what they have. They don't have to go buy a bunch of new stuff. They can tweak what they have and, uh, you know, make, make things work. Fish are fish. Um, and they're predatory fish. A bass is a predatory fish. A walleye is a predatory fish. They're, they're out there to eat and they're out there to kill. And you just got to give them the right thing to look at. If they're going to eat this thing, if they're going to eat this crankbait, why wouldn't they eat something that looks just like it, but you don't have to troll it? You know, it's like, Oh yeah. 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 Know? Yeah. Figuring out those efficiencies. And I can tell you, you know, we ain't got a ton of time left here at all, but like, I feel like, you know, in for competition, the, the quickest way to get beat by Tom Wynn would be to follow Tom Wynn around because you're, there's almost a guarantee that you're not throwing something that he's throwing or you're not doing it the same way he's doing it and the success. So, I mean, I mean, I just feel <laughs> like if, if I found myself next to you in a tournament, I would just move spots just based on that because my <laughs> only shot at catching the right fish to be competitive against you isn't going to be right next to you. Cause it's just, there's just no way if you get something figured out, man, uh, history would show that, uh, the success is there, but, and obviously we wish you continued success. We're excited. Um, and, and maybe we'll wrap it up there. That's probably all we got time for. Okay. Uh, what, what is your tournament schedule looking at here coming up, uh, for the season? You're going to fish all the NWTs, all the Minnesota Ames. Like what, what, what schedules are, yeah. what trail are you going to be on? Yeah, I'm going to fish all of the NWTs again this year. Um, on the AIM circuit, Nate and I contemplated with both of our, you know, we both have small businesses and um, both of our businesses are very busy in the summer times. And we actually, our, our initial thought last fall and winter was, you know, this is it. We're not going to, we can't do the AIM anymore. You know, we're going to, uh, it's just too much. It just got to be a lot. And so, um, but you know, that was part of the discussion a little bit. And then, you know, it was just awesome to see like the messages we get um, on social media, like from competitors just saying, you know, like, no, you know, we don't want to see you guys go. You're right. And it was because we don't know how to, we, we never knew how to take this. We never knew how to take our early success. Like what do people think of us? Like we are very approachable. We love talking to people, everything like that. But do do people like like hate us? <laughs> we don't know. We we don't. We never knew because we're new. We don't know anybody. We're we're meeting a lot of great people though now. Like it's awesome to talk to a lot of our competitors and get. And we learn a lot from them as well. But a lot of them would message us and say, you know, you guys should keep fishing this. I mean, you're and it's just humbling to hear like statements like you're pushing us to fish differently pushing us to get better and so nate and i are going to um we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time pre-fishing this year we just can't you know priorities business work you know family stuff like that so um we're still going to make a run at the aim deal 
this year and you know diff- we got some events on different times of year um some of the same bodies of water some different and we're just we're just looking forward to it again and seeing some of uh the the guys and ladies out there on the water that compete against us everybody you know likes to come say hi to us and stuff we love that like it's um just crazy the camaraderie and stuff that we've learned is in this is in this sport yeah man well that's awesome that's very exciting very exciting. We'll definitely be paying attention and, and keeping it in touch as much as we possibly can. Um, yeah, man, definitely. I feel like you're just getting started in this deal, Tom. You, you've been around. It's like you've had a lifetime of achievements in a, in a few years. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just got to keep your foot on the gas as much as you can and keep fishing as much as uh, we'll take you as much as we can get you. <laughs> for I appreciate sure. that. And uh, yeah, man, awesome. And and anything that you want to promote, your socials, uh, Tom Wynn Fishing on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, is that right? Yep, got those. And, um, you know, I was, I'm fortunate enough this last, over the last, this off season to pick up uh, uh, some sponsors that, you know, still unbelievable to me to pick up like, Northland Fishing Tackle, like a legendary walleye fishing company, you know, reached out and, you know, part of their product development and stuff now, it's just unreal. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited though, because I've never had that opportunity to be like, okay, this is how I want my plastics to look like. And, you know, it's, it's happening. And that, that plastic part is coming soon. And, um, I can't wait, but that and um, I'm sitting here right now at Coron Toyota. They helped me do my veteran fishing um, stuff. I'm actually here getting my truck serviced. Um, but um, and then uh, I have another very big company. I can't believe reached out and I'm the first uh, Daiwa fishing pro on the walleye side ever. So oh, man. that that's that's cool. Um, yeah, that that's unbelievable to me. Like, you know, just the one of the best makers of reels forever. And um, I get to put my two cents in with them. And yeah, it I I just it's it's awesome. And I can't forget. Sorry, I can't forget J and K Marine Texas boats there. They're awesome, but um, yeah, you guys, anybody see me out there on the water this year, you want to take a look at the Vexus, um, give me a warning so I can hide my baits, but then I'll let you jump in and uh, take a look. Heck yeah, dude. (laughs) Heck yeah, dude. Well, I'll let you back to it for real this time. All right, well, take care. Keep in touch. Right on, man. We'll talk to you. Okay, yeah, bye.